Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway, where you'll learn the keys to building a profitable speaking business from speaking industry pros. Each week, we interview a great guest who will share his or her speaking journey, identify what their keys to success have been, and highlight some critical mistakes they've made along the way that you'll want to avoid. Be sure to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking show. I am Brett Ridgway, and I'm excited to introduce to you a gentleman whose world we, we've come into each other world fairly recently, honestly, through met through some networking events and all that. And I, I was so impressed with his take on storytelling and what he's been able to teach me about that world. Uh, so I wanted to bring him on the show today. But my guest today is a gentleman named Al Jensen. And mere mortals hire Al Jensen to help them develop their cheap, their client connection story, their virtual sales and marketing presentation, and their confidence. Because most know their subject but don't know how to package and present it with confidence, either online or in person, in order to convert prospects into customers. He puts his 40-plus years of storytelling and presentation development experience to work, establishing and fostering stories that will connect with and move his clients' audiences. Working with entrepreneurs, marketers, coaches, and authors to develop their presentations for both the virtual world and the live stage, they become confident, capable, and convincing presenters. Bottom line, Al Jetson transforms mere mortals into confident, capable, virtual storytelling rock stars. Welcome, Al Jetson, to the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Hey, thank you, Brett Ridgway. That that was awesome. I'm I'm excited to hear what I have to say today. <laughs> Well, I want to dive right into it, Al, because you're, you know, as your intro said, 40 plus years in the industry. So I'm sure we have a lot of nuggets to share with our listeners. But uh, I mean, let's let's roll back a little bit. How did you even get started in the speaking industry in the first place? I've heard a little bit of your background in the past, but you know, let's get the story out there for folks. Well, okay, it's um, it's it's a strange story. It happened. <laughs> uh, it, it started in uh, July 1974. Oh my gosh. Yeah, 1974. I was, uh, I think I was like a sophomore in high school. Like I said, I was and, still in high school, man. Yeah, and and, and so, um, and, and this is a story, uh, this is the beginning of a story that I'm sure you've heard before. So there was this girl, you know, I was a, I was a teenager, and I had hormones that were driving, you know, my life at that point in time, and there was this girl, Denise D.D. Billerbeck, and <laughs> She was, she was, as far as I was concerned, the prettiest girl in the entire county. Now, I grew up in Central America. That's Iowa, for those who are not familiar with U.S. geography. I grew up on a farm in Northeast Iowa and, uh, you know, sparsely populated. And Denise was one, I mean, just the, the object of a lot of people's affections and mine, for one. And she uh, was going to be at the, uh, the 4-H County Fair. 
And at the 4-H County Fair, I'm walking down the livestock barn and I hear this call, this, this beautiful angelic voice, Alan. And, and I looked over, I thought for sure it was that 1400 pound Charlet steer that was, but no, no, it was, it was Denise Didi Billerbeck calling my name. I didn't even know she knew my name, let alone knew who I was, but she called my name and I was excited. And she says, are you going to be part of the 4-H County Council? I said, well, uh, it kind of depends. Uh, are you going to be part of the 4-H County Council? She says, well, you know, my dad, he's kind of like king of the 4-H program in this county. So yeah, I'm going to be on the county council. So I answered uh, with my hormones. Well, if you're going to be on the county council, yeah, I'm going to be on the county council too. I thought, what a better way to hang out with Denise D.D. Billerbeck. She says, great, go over to the pavilion, fill out the paperwork for your candidacy, and you can give your campaign speech tonight at seven o'clock. Oh my gosh. And that is when it happened. The Sahara Desert appeared inside of my throat, and my armpits were the Mississippi River, and my knees were just knocking back and forth. You could actually hear them. It's like, oh, what? But once again, my hormones were ruling my actions, and I figured if I can get on the 4-H County Council with Denise D.D. Billerbeck, perhaps that might be the start of something beautiful. So I went over and filled out the paperwork and I showed up at seven o'clock and I was one of the multiple uh, kids who were going to give their campaign speech. And I got up on that stage. I had three minutes and I told a story. I said, listen, uh, 4-H is a lot of things to a lot of kids. To me, it's more than just agriculture. To me, it's about relationships and it's about leadership that I was, had the opportunity to go on a leadership short course. It was a week-long training program on how to be a great leader, a great communicator. And that was so meaningful to me. And you know, if you, if you vote me uh, into the 4-H County Council, I will bring my experience and my training, and I'll do everything I can to make this a great experience for everyone in 4-H. At the end of the night, after everybody had done their, their campaign speech, everybody got to vote. And they voted, and they voted for me, and they voted for me in a big way. And this isn't a, a politician's bragging here, but I had so many votes that I was declared the president of the county council. My, my dreams had been realized. I could get to hang out with Denise D.D. Billerbeck, the prettiest girl in the county. So I show up at the first county council meeting. And they say, well, Al, um, since you got the most votes, you're the president. You're also our delegate to the area council. And then the area council says, well, you're our delegate to the state council. And by the way, since you talked about leadership and training, you're going to go out to all of the community centers, all the libraries, all the churches, all the schools, and you're going to talk about how 4-H has impacted your life. We really liked your story that we saw that we heard earlier. So long story short, between my junior and senior year in high school, while well, I served not only the county 4-H council, the area 4-H council, the state 4-H council, I spoke over 200 times, literally in every single one of Iowa's 99 counties on the benefits of, of uh, 4-H and, and how you could grow uh, as a person, as a leader, as a communicator, in addition to the agricultural aspect of 4-H. So that's where I got my start, more than 200 messages as 
uh, as a high schooler. And now fast forward, I don't know, 45, 48, I don't know how many years it's been, but now uh, I've spoken almost 8,000 times on stage uh, for various employers, for myself. I had a comedy magic act for a while. I, I'm counting that in those numbers. I was the host of an AM radio talk show and an internet television show. So I'm including those appearances as, uh, as speaking on stage. So uh, it's been a long journey that started in Grundy County, Iowa. I don't know, the population is probably like 30,000 people in the entire county. And uh, and that's where it all started. And I've been telling stories and and working with uh, aspiring storytellers ever since. All right. So two important questions come from that, Al. The first question okay. is, so how effective were you in terms of your 4-H speaking? Were you able to increase membership as a result of it? Uh, substantially. In fact, I've got, uh, I found I went back in the archives of the county newspaper, and I found a couple of articles that talked about uh, Alan's going to be speaking on the benefits of 4-H. And then I found some follow-up articles, 17 new people signed up as a result of this, and 34. So they really liked what I was doing, and we got a lot of 4-H signups as a result of my public relations messaging in the mid-1970s. Absolutely. All right. So second question, and more importantly, do you never ever know what happened to Denise D.D. Bilderback? <laughs> you know, I get that question when I when I tell that story and I speak <laughs> around the country. And um, I hadn't heard from her in almost forever. But uh, there's this new thing that's going around now. The kids are using it. Maybe you heard of it. It's called the worldwide interweb thing that I, I think Al Gore invented it a few weeks yeah, ago. I heard, heard something about that one time. So, so I got on and I, I typed in and I, uh, I found her on Facebook. And uh, she's married and she has, uh, I think, eight kids and 18 grandkids. And she married another guy who was in 4-H. So um, I sent her a message and said, I'm going to be back in Iowa. Can we meet up for lunch? So we met for lunch and I said, I hope you're not disappointed, but but here's a story I tell. And she just got the biggest grin on her face. <laughs> she says, oh my God, those were such great times. Those were awesome. Hey, we dated a little bit and she went to my senior prom with me, but really nothing ever became of it from a relationship standpoint. But uh, about 10 years ago, she was inducted into the uh, the Iowa 4-H Hall of Fame. Ooh. She followed in her father's footsteps and she became a leader and, and all that kind of stuff. Now she's got kids and she's got grandkids that are in 4-H. So she stayed on the farm and she continued on with that whole agricultural aspect. And uh, she was just excited to hear that that she had made it into my message. And uh, she did a little video that I sometimes play at the end of my presentations where she says, hey, everybody, uh, everything Al told you is absolutely true. And I'm glad he left some things out. And I wish you the best of luck <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, she continued on. She's doing great. And uh, when I got out of school, I decided I did not want to stay on the farm so I moved on to other things, but it's great to know Denise still followed that uh, that path. All right, well, so great story, Al. So you got your start as a snotty-nosed kid in high school for the 4-H. <laughs> so when did it transition into becoming a, a full-time vocation for you? Um, well, throughout the years, uh, as I worked in corporate America, and I I would take a little sabbatical from corporate America, uh, to become an entrepreneur. Uh, one time I was 
invited to leave the company that I worked for, and they gave me a uh, they gave me a two year compensation to stay out of the industry in terms of a, a non compete clause. So I had like a two year opportunity. I was in Denver, Colorado at the time. And I went over and taught a course at the Colorado Free University, and that turned into to a recurring event. And I started doing it every Saturday, and I started selling books. and And I would say it was um, probably in the, the late 1980s when I was around 30 ish, when I realized, wow, there's really some possibilities here. That's when I also met Joe Saba, who happened to be the uh, the founder of the National Speakers Association chapter in Colorado. He and I did a couple of programs together, and thanks to Joe Saba, he kind of inspired me that, hey, Al, you can, you've got some information that's valuable, and you can impact people's lives. So I would say it was probably when I was teaching for Colorado Free University, and Joe Saba was was uh, nudging me very gently to uh, to do that, that I took speaking more seriously and started to really uh, build my skills. So I like to say, Al, that there's, in my mind, three kinds of speakers. One is a keynote speaker who obviously, you know, for a fee is going to go into a corporation or an association and deliver a talk. The second is the platform seller, we'll call them, who's going to get up and pitch a product or service directly from the stage. And the third in my mind is the business person, the chiropractor or the, you know, attorney or whatever, who's doing it just as a credibility builder for their core business. They're not necessarily selling directly from the stage, but they're up there sharing their wisdom or whatever. Mm -hmm. So which of those arenas have you played in and which one do you like the best? Uh, I've literally played in all of those arenas, uh, keynote speaker. Um, That's, I got to tell you, the keynote speaker, that's the the cush job. That's the easy job. You know, you got a one hour program, you show up, you talk for an hour, you collect your check, you wave to everybody and and then you're gone. Uh, That's the easy thing to do. But it's the hard gigs to get. I mean, that's a really tough way to uh, to make a good, good living. Uh, there are some people who do it, but for every person who makes a good living as a keynote speaker, there's another dozen who are really struggling. But I've, I've done that, and, and that's cool. Uh, a stage seller, I got to tell you, that's that's really my sweet spot and has been for several years now because I can get any stage I want almost any time as long as I'm able to make an offer from the platform and in most cases you know share a percentage of that with the event coordinator so I'll make a lot more money selling from stage than I will collecting a a 3000 or 5000 or 7500 dollar check as a keynote speaker sure. so uh yeah I've I've done all of them and uh and yeah selling from stage I think that's probably uh, for me, where it's at, because I can sell from stage on the virtual platform uh, or the live platform, uh, and it's uh, it's really worked well for me. So what have you found most recently, Al, your sweet spot to be in terms of, of product pricing from the stage? And is it different in the virtual world for you than it would be on the live stage at all? Well, uh, there's a little bit of difference between the virtual stage and the live stage. And, uh, and and that's a unique, uh, very interesting question. I'm going to give you an answer that's probably not one you're going to expect. And I think the sweet spot in terms of price point of what I'm offering really depends upon the audience and how much time I have with the audience. Now, if I've got a one-hour spot and I have a really good audience of aspiring speakers, aspiring storytellers, 
um, I can easy, easy make a 997 to 1997 offer and convert pretty reasonably. But if I've got a 20-minute spot at a networking group that's not necessarily a really solid um, target audience for me, I'm probably either going to offer a $47 offer, but in most cases, I'm probably going to offer a lead magnet. I'm going to offer people the opportunity to get into my world with a free gift. Uh, so I guess I'm of the, uh, of, of the school that believes that in order to convert on an offer, there's a number of factors, and that includes how much time do I have to build knowability, likability, and trust in my audience? And if you give me just 15, 20 minutes, I probably don't have enough time to build enough credibility and likability to make a thousand or two thousand dollar offer. But give me an hour, and oh yeah, I can do that all day long because in 30, 45 minutes, I can build that credibility. I can tell stories, I can get them on my side, and then I can seed my offer along the way. So sure. when I get to the last 10, 12 minutes of the message and I'm going to make my offer, you know, I'm really confident that I can uh, that I can convert on a on a thousand to two thousand dollar uh, offer so that's kind of my sweet spot is the 997 to 1997 and uh and I, I hope that answers your question yeah no great answer and i great perspective so in your 40 plus years of experience as a speaker out if you had to boil it down to maybe three critical keys that have led to your success what would they be uh you know absolutely positively and this isn't really uh, a, a speaking thing. This isn't how you put your message together or anything like that, but it's it's know who your audience is, who's going to be listening to you. And even more importantly than who's going to be listening, what are their problems? What are their pains? What do they want and need help with? Because if my message is not aligned with their pain or their problems, It'll be nice. It'll be fun, but it's kind of like kissing your sister. You know, it's just not going to get you anywhere, <laughs> and that's 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 just kind of the way it is. So I really think that knowing who your audience is, who you can impact, and what kind of pain or problem you can solve from them, is probably the number one lesson that I've learned. When you have that, and you can communicate that to event planners to meeting coordinators, then you have a really good opportunity of getting the nod to get up in front of those, uh, those audiences. And I don't want to waste my time in front of an audience that's not aligned with my message, with that doesn't have a pain or a problem that I can solve. Um, yeah, it's fun to talk, but I'm up there for a purpose, and that is to impact the lives of the people in the audience. And again, if they don't have the pain or problem that I specifically solve, then they're not going to benefit. I'm not going to benefit. So that's really been my one eye-opening mm -hmm. uh, thing that's uh, yeah. that's occurred to me over the last 10 or 12 years is you just really, really got to be aligned with your audience. Well, I think that's a great number one, Al. And it's certainly one of the things I think, by and large, most speakers are, are woefully inadequate at is taking the time to yeah. truly study, study who their audience is going to be in advance and making sure they're addressing those pain points and all that. I mean, so many people, it's like, here's my canned speech. This is what I'm going to do regardless. And, you know, take it or leave it. And they they leave a lot on the table by not truly connecting with their audience as they could if they took that time to find out about the audience in advance. Oh, absolutely. So what's your number two, sir? 
my number two is once you understand the pain that you can solve, really get to understand the demographics of who has those problems, who has that pain. So identify your target audience and just, just get down and nitty gritty and understand who that audience is. And then as a part of that process, figure out where they gather. Because everyone, yeah, I live here in Las Vegas and uh, we're the kind of the convention capital of the world. And there's a convention that happens every year that brings about 800 people in and they are swizzle stick collectors. Who, who collects swizzle sticks? You know, yeah, apparently about 800 people. <laughs> well, at least 800 people. They have a convention once a year. So if you have a message that talks to people on how to build their collection of swizzle sticks or whatever, you know, you can find that they gather in Las Vegas once a year for five days. So who do you serve and where do they gather? Because they have probably a local association. They have a, a state association, a regional association, a national association, or a society. And once you can identify who makes up that target audience, then it makes it a whole lot easier to identify where they gather. And once you figure out where they gather, then it's a relatively easy process to identify who's the gatekeeper, who's the person who's in charge of deciding you know, who's going to speak and who's going to present and who's going to train and who's going to inspire. But once you have that narrowed down, you can go to that person with a very specific message and say, listen, I understand that, that your association of swizzle stick collectors, I understand that they have several problems. And I'm going to talk about three ways to overcome their top three problems. So, you know, and, and when you can say that and you can deliver that and you're an expert in that field, then you got a great, great chance to get that gig. And your next question is probably, what's the third? Well, I was going to say, now that we've learned that there is actually a swizzle stick convention, <laughs> I'm really excited to find out what number three is. Well, number three is you got to become an expert, a recognized, acknowledged, visible expert in your field. Because people at that swizzle stick convention, you know, they they want to hear from the guy who wrote the book or who, who put the class together, who has a TV show, you know, who the guy who's a celebrity or gal who's a celebrity. That's who they want to listen to. If I'm just a nobody, but I happen to know a little bit about swizzle sticks and I don't have any professional, you know, recognizable uh, qualities about me, it's going to be really tough. But Again, if I have that credibility, I've got visibility, and I'm a recognized professional in that market segment, that's going to make it a whole lot easier for me to get in and, and deliver my message. And so those are really the top three, I think, um, you know, uh, lessons that I've learned over the last you know, 15, 20 years as I've taken this much more seriously and started to make a, a much more substantial portion of my income from the stage. All right. Well, all great points, Alan. I appreciate so much you sharing them. I do have a couple other questions I'd like to ask you, but before we do, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. 
to pick up your copy. Go to breadridgeway.com forward slash freebie. And we are back with the Spotlight on Speaking Show. And my guest this week is Al Jensen. And Al, one of my favorite questions, honestly, to ask my guest is, okay, buddy, embarrass yourself a little bit, bear your soul or whatever you want to call it, and share a couple of mistakes maybe you made along the way that you would highly advise aspiring speakers not to make. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm blushing already. Uh, <laughs> I, I think back to about, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years ago. It was around 2013, 14, 15, something like that. And I was invited to speak at a, uh, a speaker's retreat in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, it was a woman who was putting this retreat on, and I had met her previously, and she had heard me and said, I think our audience would like to hear from you. Come down and speak. And I, oh, absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. So I show up, and uh, I sit through uh, a portion of the conference, and then my time is just about ready to, to come on stage and to do my one-hour presentation. And the woman who's running the event, she's also acting as the MC, and she's introducing all the speakers, all the presenters. So she does this awesome, this amazing introduction for me. Al Jensen is so great, and he's so awesome, and you're going to love him, and you're going to learn, and you're going to go away richer for the experience. And so she really built me up. And I'm walking up the stairs to get on the stage, and as I'm closing into her, uh, I'm reaching out for a handshake, but she's coming in for a hug. <laughs> and as I do that, I am immediately hand to body with her, we're just going to say lady parts, all right? And I'm there doing a chest grab on the MC host of this event. And I'm realizing, oh my God, I never, I never address that ahead of time. Are we going to do a fist bump? We're going to do a high five. We're going to do a handshake. We're going to do a hug. Well, she thought hug. I thought handshake. And I shook parts of her body that a guy shouldn't have been shaking. <laughs> oh my God. And I was so embarrassed. So now in my, my training class, I do a, a school every year called Summer Speaker School. And that is one of the illustrations that I make. When you go to an event, one of the pre-show questions you ask is, okay, Who's going to introduce me? When and how do I get on stage? Is it a handshake? Is it a fist bump? Is it a high five? Or is it just an acknowledge? You know, how are we going to do this? Because I don't want to be embarrassed like that again. You know, I've that, never heard I've crazy. never heard anybody talk about that before. That's such a great point because obviously in your case, you put your breast foot forward and you don't want to do that. So <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and I oh I was so embarrassed, you know, but um yeah. All right, got got another one out because I'm sure in 48 or so years there, you made at least one other mistake. <laughs> oh, I've I've made plenty plenty of mistakes. Um, I was speaking at an event. I think it was New York City. Uh, Might have been New Jersey, but it was in the New York metro area. And I was uh, speaking at a, a huge conference. I think it was in 2018, so four or five years ago. And I was one of a hundred-ish speakers or so, and I was doing a, a, a breakout session. We had about 300, 350 people in the room, and uh, I was the speaker uh, from 11 to 12 o'clock, and, and they introduced me, and I had a handshake. I knew how to do that, and I got up. I did my thing, and it was great, and I got to the end of my uh, program, and I go, okay, well, that's it. 
well, where's the MC? I thought the MC would be coming back on to shake my hand and, and do my outro. But the MC, the guy who introduced me, was nowhere to be found. And I was just like on stage, well, uh, what a, what a, hmm, um, I'm not much of a singer and I can't dance, so I don't know what to do here. Well, turns out they wanted me to release them for lunch and say, okay, everybody, it's lunch break. Go ahead and be back in here at 145. But they didn't tell me that. So I'm standing on stage like a blubbering fool, which isn't hard for me to do. And uh, I, I had to, I had literally had to walk off stage and find somebody to tell me I'm supposed to release them to go to lunch. I didn't know. So that's also another bullet point in my summer speaker school that uh, you want to figure out who's going to introduce you, handshake or high five, whatever. And then when you're done, how do you give it back? I mean, do you release people for lunch? Do you say go to break? Do you say come up and see me at the front, see me at the back at my table? You know, how do I? exit the stage so in addition to doing a sound check you know a microphone check and a uh -huh. light check and a stage check you know all those things you want to make sure you're comfortable with know how you're gonna exit the stage and who's gonna take over from there mm -hmm. so uh yeah that was uh that was not nearly as embarrassing uh as my my phoenix event uh but uh, still it was kind of embarrassing what do i do ain't nobody here you know, that's such a great point. I mean, you hear people talking all the time about the importance of your your introduction and all that, but very few people talk about how to close out your talk and, and send it to the next section. I was actually at an event a few years ago where it was a multi-speaker event over the course of like three days, and there were platform sellers. And so the speaker, speaker had done a great job, had the audience excited, closed out, should have been the table rush, but what happened is the MC stepped in and said, we're going to do a meditation now. And took people into a meditative state, and he killed the speaker's sales. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. He, he didn't close it out properly at all. So great, great point. So all right, Al, this has been a great conversation, and I so appreciate you being here today. Why don't you take a couple of minutes and tell a little bit more about what you do and how people can get involved in your world and if you have a, a gift or anything for them today. Sure, absolutely. So um, let me let me do that by answering or by telling you a little story. It was, right. uh, it, was great, 2000, it was 2016, and I looked at my calendar one day and I thought, I've got 16 appointments this week with Toastmasters who I am mentoring. And I went, I'm giving 16 hours of my time to Toastmasters to to mentor them. Well, that's awfully nice of me, but I wonder if anybody'd pay for this. So. I hung out a shingle and I said, here's Al, he's a speaker coach. Anybody want speaker coaching? And my goodness, people said, yeah, take my money, coach me. So 2017, I officially became, became a speaker talent developer. And I work on two tracks. Number one, the art of speaking, creating your signature story, your signature presentation, your signature speech. And then the second lane that I travel is parallel to that, and that's how to monetize your message. Uh, in like we talked earlier, in many cases, it might be uh, being paid for a for a keynote message. In more often than not, it's uh, it's easier and I think more profitable to sell from stage to make an offer from stage. So I work with aspiring and emerging speakers to help them figure out what their message is, who their audience is, how to get that that expertise. Um, 
spotlight shown on them, how to put their story together, how to get booked, all those kinds of aspects. So that's what I do. And uh, thank goodness for this whole um, this whole COVID thing, because I was doing it just in Las Vegas. But uh, for the last uh, two and a half years, I've been doing it worldwide, thanks to this worldwide interweb thing that they just came up with a while back. So uh, I'm doing it now. I just picked up a client in South Africa. So excited about that. Mm-hmm. I have never had a, a client from down there. I've got them in Europe, all over the United States, Philippines, and just wherever. Cool. So anybody who is an aspiring speaker wants to figure out how to put their message together, but more importantly, to figure out who their audience is and how to develop that uh, that expert status how to get booked to speak. Those are the things that I work on. And I'm going to uh, provide you, in fact, I've already provided you, and I think we're going to put it in the show notes, um, an assessment. Now, this assessment is a tool. It takes you about four or five minutes. It walks through about 35, 40 questions and asks you, where are you at with this? Where are you at with this? And the response I get to, from most people who have taken that assessment is, oh my God, there's a there's so much I I didn't know I didn't know. Uh, so much I didn't know that I needed in order to be a, a great, effective, and profitable speaker. So uh, this is called a uh, the Next Stage Rockstar Speaker Readiness Assessment, and we're going to give that to people. And uh, if they want some follow-up, I offer a 30-minute follow-up call to help them figure out what their next one or two steps is to pursue whatever their their speaking goal is. So we'll put that information into uh uh, into your show notes. People can click on that, take the assessment. And if they want to schedule that follow-up call with me, there's a link there that they can do that. And then also I invite anyone to join my uh, Aspiring and Emerging Speakers Facebook group, where we talk about all of these issues and share ideas and network with one another. So uh, that's my offer and my gift at absolutely no cost to your viewers and listeners who want to be a part of that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Al. So this has been another great episode of the Spotlight on Speaking show. This one was even topped with a little bit of awesome sauce. So I thank you, Al, for joining us today and sharing your wisdom and expertise. As always, if you haven't been over to SpotlightOnSpeaking.com, please register there so you can be notified of uh, upcoming episodes. And also, if you go to BrettRidgeway.com, and you'll see that down in the show notes, you can get my free special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business, as well as my new book, which is coming out in March, How to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. It should be available for pre-purchase there. So thank you again for joining us. As always, I wish you the greatest of success in all that you do. And may 2023 be your greatest year yet. This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week, thank you for tuning in and remember to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Spotlight on Speaking show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business. 